0: So Welcome back to Cold Stuff and Chill, you guys. It is episode four. If you've been here since the beginning, it's the the official one-month mark of you listening. It's been, well, longer than that for the two of us here. But
1: (laughs) for you guys, it's been a month. Is this episode four or episode five?
0: Oh, shit. Backtrack, guys. You've been here for over a month, so congrats. (laughs) Time is... As you will find out from my story, uh, not linear. It means nothing. Time is a construct. So, welcome. Where to say that? Welcome back to Cold Stuff and Chill. It's not been in you know set amount of time. It's just we're here and we're listening and we're just chilling, as the title says.
1: Okay, I have a question. Question of the week for you.
0: Okay. I have a slight corrections corner, but we'll save
1: it for later. You better just do it now. Now you brought it up. Okay.
0: So I have two corrections. Um, I'm sure that there are many more corrections that I could make. However, um, the first of which, I am a dumbass. So in episode two, I believe, when we were talking about Houdini, I said that his dad's name was Robbie. Now, um, I'm a dumbass. Let me just reiterate that. <laughs> his name isn't Robbie. He is a rabbi. <laughs> um, <laughs> his name is... <laughs> is mayor samuel not robbie he is a rabbi i like when i was going back i was like that doesn't sound right and i looked into it i was like i cannot believe how dumb i am because even in the episode i go oh yeah his dad's a rabbi his name is robbie
1: like why
0: did that not click in my mind i don't know but i'm here to correct it that was not his name it was mayor samuel Meyer or Mayer. Um It's spelled like Maier, like John Maier, but I think it's probably pronounced Meyer. But second correction, my mom texted me. So I got to pull up the text from my mom on this one. But in the week where we were talking about um, the Masonic Temple, I mentioned a bit about like some rainbow group. Uh, so my mom actually was listening to that episode and she gave me the correct info here. Um, she goes, just an FYI, the rainbow girls are basically the youth group for girls of the Masons. And Eastern Star members. The boy youth group was called Demolay. So it wasn't the women of the Freemasons. It was basically like the Freemasons Girl Scouts, but they did have like basically wizard robes for both groups. And she also knows I have no idea what kind of voodoo they did at their meeting. So yeah, that's my brief corrections corner, um, featuring my lovely mother. Yeah. But yeah, what was the question you had for me?
1: Uh so my question was. If let's say that you need to like get a project done or you're cleaning the house, what song slash artist are you listening to to accomplish that? Because as our listeners at this point may know, we both either have diagnosed or undiagnosed ADHD. And uh, sometimes you just need a good song to get you through a get you through a clean or a project. So
0: So I actually when I clean and stuff, I can't listen to music because I get I'm the type of person where I'll listen to like the first minute and a half of the song and be like, okay, I'm ready for the next one. And then I'll just like keep hitting play until I get to a good one. So I can't do that. But what I usually do is I pick like a 40 minute long YouTube video on a topic that I'm just like not super interested in. Well, you know, i will get a backtrack because I did find myself very interested in it, even though I didn't think I was going to be. But recently I've been watching these videos. It's like um, Victorian era re recreators I don't know they like are working in living in a Victorian village and they just like tell you what the day-to-day life would be like that's what I listen to because it's something that I can just like listen to and then if they say something interesting I'll like quickly look at my phone and be like oh neat and then put it back recently they were making from hand um condoms out of what is it like lamb intestines
1: yeah, I think I've seen that one before. They mm-hmm. just, like, string them up, and they're like, we're just going to put them out to dry. Yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. So that's what I, I, my cleaning playlist consists of.
1: Yeah, so I think that mine is mainly, like, Rob Zombie. Because it's just, like, very, it's not, I'm not going to say it's monotonous, because it does change up, but it's, like, very driving for me. Mm-hmm. But it's also, like, I don't have to pay attention, really, to what he's saying, because it's kind of a lot of the same so I'm just like, na, 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 uh-huh. na, na, na. just like going, and then I'm like, I can, I can focus and clean. So yeah. That so, that would viewers, be a
0: good
1: one. Viewers slash listeners, comment on our YouTube video or Instagram. <laughs> what, uh, what music you listen to, to, uh, to get in the zone, I guess. Yeah. What's
0: your chore playlist?
1: Okay, so for our first topic today, I'm going to be talking about Netta Furnario, um, the and her mysterious death on the Isle of Iona.
0: I'm excited. I know nothing about this one. And I always love it when I come in like completely, completely fresh on something.
1: <laughs> well, and with this story, so I was like, I'm gonna go to Wikipedia first. It's actually not a Wikipedia article, but I did find some other sources, and there's, like, a lot of podcasts that have already covered it, and, like, a lot of YouTube, other YouTube videos, uh, and, I mean, articles, obviously, but, like, this one, what's kind of different is, like, there's different stories on what happened, because it's basically, like, just, uh, it's a tiny island, the tiny island of Iona, and there was a bunch of just like farmers that lived on this island and so like one person would be like oh yeah I saw this and this and this and another person would be like oh well I saw this and this and this so they're basically just like I don't know if they're making shit up but like everybody's got something to contribute that may or may not be true. So, Netta Fernario was born Marie Nora Emily Edith Fornario in Cairo, Egypt in 1897 to Nora Edith Lang, an English woman, and Giuseppe Nicola Raimundo Fornario, an Italian. Um, her mother died in 1898 when she was only a year old, and her dad was just like, I fucking hate children. I want nothing to do with this kid. So, he sent her off to be put in the care of her grandfather, Thomas Prattling, who was like a tea baron or something. Like he, he sold tea. Um, and something of note about her is that she always had an interest in fairies even as a child. Like she liked fairy tales, that kind of thing. And that kind of put her family off because they were religious-ish. So she lived there for a while and her grandfather actually died in 1909 and he left some money to Netta, but with some very specific instructions that she would get the money provided that she shall remain under the guardianship of her uncle George or other person approved by his trustees and shall not forsake the English Protestant faith or marry a person not of that faith or marry a first cousin on either her father or her mother's side under penalty of losing one half of the interest in this sum. The, the whole, like, not marrying your first cousin thing, I was like, what? Why? Why? <laughs>
0: Well, like, don't do not do that, but also that's a very specific rule that he had written in there. So, it was it, like, a family thing where he was just like, I'm so sick of these inbreds?
1: I don't know. I don't know if it was just, like, times were changing and he's like, we cannot, we can't be doing this anymore. Like, we've done this in the past or what, but I, I don't know. But anyways, after her grandfather's death in 1911, she went to attend the Ladies College Boarding School in Eastbourne. But that's not really what she was interested in. Again, it was, like, very stiff, very structured. And she's like, no, like, I want to study magic. So she eventually joined Alpha et Omega, a splinter group of, you guessed it, the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. Um, And they mainly fucked with, like, ritual magic, tarot cards, mysticism, and telepathy.
0: That was Alistair's group, correct?
1: Well, that was his group before he... Decided to start his own religion. Okay. But, like, so that's the one that was, like, uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's group. Gotcha. Okay. Cool. So some of these people also, like, made contact with fairies. And so she was, like, finally, I have found my people. This is just where I belong. And so she's she's studying. She's reading all their books and stuff. And she comes across some information in a book that uh, – The Isle of Iona, which is a Scottish island, was, like, a place where the veil between the spirit world or, like, the astral realm and the physical world was really thin. So she could, like, go there and meditate and make contact with the astral realm or the spirit realm or whatever. And also that it was, like, a place of supreme healing. So she's, like, yes, love it. I'm going to go there. So this island, the island of Iona, it had a long history of habitation. Um, It had some, like, ancient settlements it is regarded just as magical as stonehenge but less well known um and kind of a little bit harder to get to cuz it is an island i feel like okay
0: and this could just be because i watched the tv show outlander um but for some reason i feel like scotland is just like a hotbed for like mystical magical shit like between their folklore just about fairies and like witchcraft and everything and then you know they had the stones that they time traveled through in the book. Obviously, that is fiction. We know that. But I don't know. It just seems like a very, like, folksy. Or not folksy. What i am trying to say? Like.
1: Well, and Scotland's I mean, where Alistair moved, too. See? Like, and like, I feel Loch Ness.
0: like Yeah. I, I don't know. I just feel like it's one of those places on Earth that, like, has kind of a weird, like, mysterious air about it. I don't know.
1: With Netta, she. She saw this book, and she was just like, I want to go there. I got to go there. I got to go do it. So she, like, just packs up everything, and she's like, and this was in 1929. She was about 32 at this time. Um, And she just, like, told her maid, She's like, hey, I'm going to be gone for a long time. I don't know when I'm coming back. I got shit to do, people to see. Fairies make contact. She's like, oh, yeah, and I'm just going to take all of furniture. So she took, like, enough furniture to furnish a small house. Oh, But she didn't really have a plan. She was just kind of like, I'm just going to go and see what happens. Which, like, love that for her. But I hate people like that. That, like, just are like, I'm just going to go. Fuck around and find out. Like, I love chaos, but that's too, that's like.
0: Too chaotic.
1: Yeah. Was she married? She must not have been. No. She kind of reminds me of, like, squirrely ants, but also, like, the people that don't believe in medicine which will be important later and like think that essential oils are like the cure to everything oh you have cancer just rub some manuka honey on it like no maybe go see a doctor
0: Mm -hmm. modern medicine is great you guys
1: so neta went without a plan to go to this island she goes there and luckily there's this local landlady who's kind of used to people just like showing up and being like, I have a spiritual journey on this Island. (laughs) So is this landlady named Mrs. McRae. So Mrs. McRae was sort of like a homely local Island woman. She had a house on like kind of a large farm type situation. Um, And like I said, Netta was this kind of rich occult practitioner, like also kind of flighty, like, but somehow Despite this, they became friends. And Mrs. McRae, she was a really good landlady. Like, she kept an eye on Netta. She took care of her because it kind of seemed like Netta was, like, not really prepared to take care of herself.
0: She needed a little help.
1: Yeah, like, she needed a little assistance. Like, she needed that rock to kind of, like, tie her down.
0: She needed someone to teach her how to human.
1: So Netta, while she was on the island, she just kind of spent, like, her days exploring the island. She'd taken the sights really just living her cottagecore fantasy um but at night she would do like she would stay up really late doing rituals and she also while she was there she told Mrs. McRae that like if she if she was in a trance which she often went into for days at a time and didn't eat and was like non-responsive that that was perfectly normal don't call the doctor it's not you know not an issue um which kind of leads to another important point that she was fasting for multiple days at a time and By all reports, she was already kind of a small woman. Mrs. McRae was like, all right, that's kind of weird, but okay. I can accommodate that, I guess. Um, And everything was cool for a while. But as Autumn crept up on Iona, Netta kind of went through a couple of changes. First, she wrote to her maid in London that she was going no contact for a while because she had a terrible case of healing to work on. Mrs. McRae noticed that Netta's pure expensive silver jewelry was turning black overnight um, but Ned had said like, oh yeah, this just happens sometimes. Like my jewelry just turns black. She was getting like kind of weak and she was spending kind of like more time in a room and then she'd go out, and do ritual after ritual, like trying to work on her healing. And then another thing that was noted is that one of Netta's former friend said that she had actually ended her friendship with Netta because her behavior was becoming more and more erratic, and the friend thought she was maybe having some sort of mental health crisis or was on drugs or something, so she's like, I don't have the time for this drama, so I'm, I'm out. This all escalated on the morning of November 17th when Mrs. McRae went to check on Netta, as she often did, to make sure that she had arrived back home after her nighttime goings-on, and she found Netta was awake which she normally was asleep. And she was awake. She was packing her luggage in a frenzy. And Netta was like, I got to go back to London to where I can protect myself. Uh, people are attacking me telepathically. I saw a rudderless boat in the sky. I received messages from entities from the other worlds that were giving me like not good news. And I I got to go. go back to London. And so that's a lot to unpack. And Mrs. McRae, she's already kind of used to Netta at this point. She's like, Okay. I can see that you're very clearly upset and frightened, but you really can't leave. It's Sunday. The boat, it's not gonna it's not gonna run today, it's gonna run tomorrow. Like you just gotta calm down. And in her head, she's kinda of thinking, like, okay, okay, Netta. <laughs> she's like, You're fucking crazy ass bitch here. But
0: sure Jan.
1: Yeah, sure, Jan. <laughs> so It was at this point that Netta got pissed, and she, like, it wasn't written this way, but I can only imagine this is what happened, that she, like, went back to her room and just, like, slammed the door. I was like, fine! You're not my real mom. Honestly, like, this lady was, like, her mother figure. Like, she never really had a mother figure, but this lady was, like, acting as her mom to a 32, 33-year-old woman. So she goes back to her room, slams the door. It is noted that she, like, took a nap for a few hours. (laughs) Went, took a little hate nap. Um, and when she came out, she's like, I'm sorry, you're right. You know, I just need to calm down, take a couple deep breaths. I'm going to go for a walk. Netta went out and Mrs. McGray was like, okay, she's going to be gone for a while. I'm just going to let her cool off. She went to go check on her the next morning and Netta wasn't in her room. So Mrs. McGray was like, oh shit. It's it's getting really cold here. It's really windy. Like we're on this island. There's I think there's like cliffs or something and beaches where she could have been like swept out or Mm -hmm. she's like, oh, my God, like something really bad has happened. So she gets in contact with the local police and like rounds up some farmers to go look for Netta. Even though Iona was small, it took two whole days to find her. They ended up finding her body over two and a half miles away from Mrs. McRae's farm. And when they did find her, it was in kind of an isolated area that was up a pretty steep hillside that was really hard to get to. Like, that's why they didn't go check there first, is because it was like, it was difficult to get to. And it was something that they didn't think that she'd be able to do kind of in her physical state. She was just like a delicate lady, I guess is what they would call it at the time. And there's also, like, moors and stuff, and I'm sure that there's, like, bogs and shit. So, I mean, they really had, like, a lot of different types of terrain to cover to, like, try to find her. But they find her at this place. She, when they found her, she was found naked. Some reports say that she had a thin black cloak on, but that, that kind of just seems like it's a dramatization. Um, Eyewitness testimony said that she was only wearing her silver cross necklace, which was, again, completely black. There were deep scratches on her body, mainly around her neck and the bottoms of her feet, like she had been running barefoot for a while. She had, some reports say there was a ritual knife in her hand, but some say it was just near the body. And then when they lifted up her body to get a better look at her, there was a cross cut into the ground under her and they could tell it was like by the ritual knife. Some people said she was like clutching a folio of cryptic letters from an unidentified stranger. Other people say that these were found in her belongings, um, but regardless of where they were found, police picked them up and they were either lost or thrown out because I think, honestly, they were gibberish and, like, they just didn't really give a shit. I mean, this is, like, a small kind of farming community. Like, they they don't have time for this shit. The area that she was found was actually and I don't know when it was built, but it was, like, an ancient abandoned village known as the Fairy Mound. And it was, like I said, incredibly hard to get to, way up on the hillside. And it was something she had been like, oh, I want to go visit that. I want to try to make contact with fairies there. But she didn't, I don't think she actually thought she'd be able to get up there. And I don't think anybody else really thought she'd be able to get up there. So that's kind of the state of which her body was found in. I don't know that they ever located her missing clothes or if she like went out naked. Who knows? But the local doctor examined the body and couldn't narrow down a time of death and said basically she could have died any time from when uh, Mrs. McRae saw her on the 17th to when they actually found her body on the 19th. And he couldn't determine a cause of death beyond exposure to the elements or heart failure. Great small town doctor, just not giving a fuck. And he's like, two day window of death. I don't know that they were really prepared to, like, do that type of investigation on the island, so it's not really surprising, but still, it's, like...
0: Well, it's, like, when you watch those, um, just, like, any really true crime documentary or TV show, it's always, like, it was a small town and, like, the police force just didn't know how to handle it because they've never had to do it before. Kind of the same thing here. Like, they just didn't know what to do with what they had, really.
1: Right. Well, and they're, like, no, we're just gonna do it ourselves. It's, like, No secure the crime scene, wait for someone that is prepared to do this. Mm -hmm. But to them, I mean, like, they probably see a lot of death, a lot of accidental or, like, people dying of old age. So they're just, like, not even, can't even fathom that it might have been a murder. They're just like, ah, it was an accident. At the request of her family, she was just buried by the locals on the island with a simple headstone marked MEF with the date of her death and her age. And she died with about 25 grand of today's money in her bank account. So, like, again, she's... She's rolling in the dough. Mm-hmm. And you would think that they'd be like, oh, man, we got this, like, rich lady here that she died. Not that any... Not that someone's wealth should be determinate on how people investigate their murders. But, like, I feel like... But it's, like, there's a motive there if it is, like, based on money. Mm-hmm. And, like, her uncle was, I think at this point, still like the executive executor on her account or whatever. That's not actually like a solid theory for a lot of people. But I do have some good theories. Going onto theories, first theory was just nature, that she got confused and lost in the woods or you know on the moors because it was cold and windy and she just succumbed to the elements. Some people say the reason that she was found naked is because of the paradoxical undressing, kind of like the Dyatlov Pass incident where she like got hypothermic and then her she was freezing to death but she thought she was hot so she took off all her clothes. Second theory is that it was a stalker. Someone on the island mentioned that they saw a mysterious man in a black cloak the day of Netta's disappearance and that because she had cuts all over her feet that someone was chasing her and like trying to follow her and it's just very vague. Some people think that he killed her and left the next day because it would have been Monday so like that's when the boats would have been running. The third theory is that it was a psychic attack. Uh, sh- like she had made those claims that people were psychically attacking her and that she needed to get off the island because she couldn't protect herself there. It was like an antenna for psychic activities. Another reason people think it might have been this is that silver has traditionally been a metal of protection and some people say like if you're being magically attacked your silver turns black. The fourth theory is that the fairy folk got her. The fairy folk, the little people, just murked her. I mean, she was actively trying to make contact with the fairy folk. People in Scotland, people in Ireland, they, they, it's not a question that they exist. So, for them, they're like, yeah they just wrote it off like, yeah, the fairy folk got her. And plus, she was found on the area known as the Fairy Mound. The fifth one, I think you'll really like this
0: oh, one. Oh, baby. Okay, I'm ready. <laughs>
1: The fifth theory is aliens. Oh, you're right. The night of Netta's disappearance, the locals claim to have seen flashing blue lights in the sky about just, like, right above where her body was found, coupled with the rudderless boat in the sky comment she had made and entities from the other worlds contacting her, which I think it was very, like, specific that she said entities from other worlds mm-hmm. were contacting her. And, like, some people are like, oh, no, she's just talking about, like, you know, astral projecting or something, but other people saying like, no, this was, this was aliens. All of these theories are kind of like, they're very adherent to being a supernatural cause. However, there is a more scientific theory that kind of seems like it might actually be what happened to her. So the sixth and final theory is that she actually succumbed to diabetic ketoacidosis. Some people speculate, and it's actually was kind of like confirmed by, I think her father who was a doctor that she had diabetes. Um, some other people said, like, oh, she has a disorder of the metabolic system or the pituitary that caused her to, like, basically go into acidosis. Some people think that it was, like, a mental health crisis that was causing her, like, not to eat, which caused her to go into acidosis or, like, not eat. First fact of this is that acidosis or just people with particularly acidic sweat can cause silver jewelry to tarnish very quickly, like, overnight. Um, and for some people, it's not, it doesn't work that way. She wasn't very active other than, like, the walk she was going on, and she was becoming more and more active as she was on this island, as opposed to how she had been before she got to the island. And Mrs. McRae also noted that a lot of times she would go to bed with a glass of orange juice. And some of the other symptoms of acidosis are nausea, vomiting, fatigue, hallucinations in some cases. Faster and deeper breathing than normal, and in the late stages can cause confusion, anxiety, heart problems, and a drop in blood pressure leading to shock, coma, and death. And even though, like, her father was a doctor, she herself believed that she could heal people through the power of magic. And so she's not really the type of person to get medical help for this, so this is why this is kind of, like, the prevailing theory. Nothing sketch actually happened to her, she just was diabetic and, like, was not taking care of herself, so...
0: So, if that's why she passed, like, how did she get up? Do you think that she just went on, like, a walk? Or just, like, a hike and just ended up there?
1: Well, what I think happened is that she... I think she was really severely, like, into the acidosis, and she was hallucinating. She had said, like, oh, I saw a rudderless boat in the sky. These people are trying to contact me. I mean, she could have been, like, astral projecting, which is fine, but it's also, like, astral projection in itself is kind of, like, your brain just interpreting the energy of the universe. It's, like, what the theories that, like, I kind of fuck with are that astral projection is just that that is what your brain is interpreting. It's really kind of within yourself, The paranoia that she was experiencing definitely seemed like it was kind of an internal thing. You see this with a lot of the people kind of in the occult around this time is, first of all, a lot of them were on drugs. I don't think she was on drugs, but, like, a lot of them were on drugs, so a lot of them were like, I'm being psychically attacked. Because it was, like, that paranoia thing. It's like, no, you're just on meth. Yeah, like, you're just doing heroin every day. (laughs) Multiple times a day. Or, you know, some of them did have just, like, your run of the mill mental health issues, which they said the same thing, like I'm being psychically attacked. Like remember Alistair Crowley was mm-hmm. like, This guy Mathers is attacking me across the continent. But I think really that's what I think happened. She just she was having an issue. It was causing her to experience these hallucinations and she just she was trying to run. Maybe she was trying to make contact with them, trying to heal herself. Cause it was likely she was feeling a lot of these other symptoms like fatigue and what was nausea and stuff but i mean it's just kind of sad at some point somebody should have been like hey no like you need you need real help not just magic help
0: (laughs) no shit so today i have a conspiracy theory for you um And hold on to your butts because this is going to be a wild one. I'm going to do my best to like make the timeline make sense. But we've got a little bit of time travel here. So it's going to get really confusing. I'm going to try my best to keep everyone on the same page here. Um, But if you're thoroughly confused by the end of this, don't worry, I am too. So we're going to talk about the Montauk project. Um, And we have to give some context to this first. So This takes place um, in Montauk, New York. So it's in the Hamptons, AKA like land of rich white people. Specifically, it takes place at a place called Camp Hero. Um, So like the whole theory kind of centers around this area. So Camp Hero, um, now it's a decommissioned military base. And this chunk of land, it's been used by the United States military pretty much as far back as the Revolutionary War. Um, and so back then they use it mostly for like training and stuff. And this was basically what it was used for pretty much entirely through world war one and then world war two comes around and it becomes basically like a coastal defense station. So the military basically is just like storing their artillery here because it makes it easy to transport back and forth from Europe. They actually disguised this station to look like a whole little fishing village. So think like the way that Disney just like disguises like mundane buildings as like cute little main street buildings and things like that. That's basically what they're doing. There were soldiers that did actually live there. um, But like I said, they disguised it to look like just a really inconspicuous looking little fishing village to fool the Nazis. Um, And so like there was a fake church there that was actually like a basketball gym. So now there are still like remains of these Cape Cod style houses and buildings. But for the most part, they've been at this point torn down or they remain there. They're just basically ruins. So by the 1950s, uh, the base largely transferred to the Air Force. Um, And then by the 60s, there was a radar system installed along with this absolute just fucking unit of a satellite. So this satellite is 70 tons. It's 120 feet wide. Like it's a big boy. It's big. Um... And so at the time, the satellite was the most advanced surveillance system basically anywhere. Um, And they were using it to detect incoming nuclear missiles. Keep in mind, at this point, we're kind of like right in the middle of the Cold War. Um, So they're, I guess, afraid of Russia nuking us. Allegedly, this radar um, would give the military an additional 30 minutes heads up before impact. I'm not really sure, like... Can you shoot a nuclear missile out of the sky? I think you can, technically. Maybe that's why it's there. But otherwise, like, why would you want that additional 30 minutes just to, like, mull over the fact that you're about to get nuked? Because really, you can't, like, escape a nuclear missile. You're just kind of fucked.
1: Well, I think it it depends because, like, as far as I understand how nuclear stuff works, which I'm not a physicist, a scientist, uh, I have a liberal arts degree, but, like, basically, if it's coming for you, which at this point, I think that the missiles would have, like, been fairly short-range. It's not like they could have shot it, like, directly in the center of the U.S. Like, they probably have just enough time to, like, warn the people in the media area that it might strike. mm
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, Which would probably be, like, the eastern seaboard. Uh, but also, like, you can go into bunkers and stuff. You do have a certain degree of protection from radiation.
0: Okay then I guess that's a good thing. They're getting an extra 30 minutes to get in their bunker or to tell their school children to hide under their desks and kiss their ass goodbye. So <laughs> um, so that's our, our big radar. Um, and then finally, in 1984, all of the land in this Hero Montauk area, it's so 755 acres, um, 415 of which were part of the military base. So in 84, all of this land transfers to the Park Service and now it operates as Camp Hero State Park. Um, And so visitors can drive through, they can bike, horseback ride, yada yada, um, alongside all of these former military installations and all these like ruins and stuff that are all covered up and boarded up with do not enter warnings. Obviously, if you go to YouTube, you can find plenty of videos where people are like trespassing. It's not that hard, it's not heavily policed over there at this point. So now I've got the history lesson out of the way. Um, You kind of have a background on this area. So. Like I said, this is time travel. I was going to say our story begins in 1992, but our, I guess our conspiracies begin to get out of control in 92 when two men by the names of Preston B. Nichols and Peter Moon release a book called The Montauk Project Experiments in Time. In this book, Nichols claimed that he is an engineer with a specialty on electromagnetic phenomena. And he says that in the 1970s he began researching mental telepathy with the original goal of the projects being to debunk this as just a theory. Um, however, in 1974, while he was conducting experiments with a number of psychics, he discovered that every day at the same time, all the psychics' abilities would be blocked around 20 minutes, as if they were like a TV that temporarily temporarily lost signal. Um, and since he is an electronics engineer. His initial theory is that their signals are like being jammed by some sort of electronic signal. And so he goes on the hunt for where the signal might be coming from. And what does he find out? He traces the signal back to our big ass radar located in Camp Hero, a.k.a. Montauk. Years and years go by from his initial research project in the 70s. And finally, in 1984, Nichols visits the now abandoned military base and observes that it had been deserted in like a really suspicious manner. Um, so like there's deserted machinery and furniture that just seem like for a military base, they probably should have been removed after the decommissioning. Um, and not only that, but it also starts to give him like this wicked deja vu feeling. So he's basically thinking that this all looks very familiar. Um, and actually, as he's exploring, he runs into a man that he assumes at the time was just a homeless man squatting. However, the man seems to recognize him. Um, and so they begin chatting and this man says to Nichols that he had been his boss on what he calls the project. And Nichols is just like, the fuck project are you talking about, dude? Like, I don't understand. <laughs> so this is kind of where things start to get weird. Okay, we're gonna fast forward to November of that same year of 84. Um, a dude by the name of Duncan Cameron shows up at Nichols' lab. Cause again, like we said, he's an engineer. Um, he works with the elect- Electromagnetics and occasionally he has people pop by to like get an expert opinion on some sort of machinery and mechanics. So Duncan has with him a piece of equipment. Um, he's unsure what it is and he's come to Nichols for basically an expert opinion. Because, like we just established, he is an engineer. So these two guys really hit it off. Um, And eventually, Nichols takes Duncan to the abandoned base at Montauk. And Duncan not only recognizes the buildings, and he has that same weird sense of deja vu that um, Nichols did. But he is also walking around, and he's able to point out, like, oh, this building was used for this. This building was used for this. Yada, yada. Like, he remembers the purpose of all of these buildings on site. We're going to switch gears a little bit. We have to add a deeper layer to this story um, just for context of what's coming next. Um, and to do this, we're going to go all the way back World War II, year 1943, smack in the middle, of World War II, where USS Eldridge, um, which is a naval escort ship, ported at a shipyard in Philly. At this time, the US government is actually in the middle of a research project where they're trying to come up with a way to cloak their naval ships using radar invisibility so that they could safely transport artillery, troops, supplies, yada, yada, to front lines in Europe. And they're calling this project the Rainbow Project. So allegedly, what the government was doing, they were experimenting with creating a giant electromagnetic field around the USS Eldridge. This would essentially render it invisible to enemy radar. Now, this experiment was too successful. And not only did it make the ship invisible to the radar, but it also makes it invisible to the human eye. And it also, not only is the ship invisible, but it removes it from the entire time-space continuum and plops this whole ass ship down in a shipyard in Norfolk, Virginia, hundreds of fucking miles away. It then disappears from Norfolk, and hours later, it reappears in Philly with the entire onboard crew. They're feeling super disoriented. And later the entire crew is discharged um, due to the claim they're just mentally unfit to serve anymore. Something's happened to this boat. It has disappeared and reappeared. It's gone to the upside down. It's come back. We don't know. And now the crew on board is all like, I don't know what the fuck happened and I can't serve anymore because I am mentally unstable.
1: Well, wasn't there also like crazier claims that like when it popped back up that like people were found spliced into like walls? Mm
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a good one. So um, if anyone wants to get deeper into this, and maybe we'll do it in a later episode, because it is, like you said, kind of interesting. It's called The Philadelphia Project. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's another conspiracy theory on its own, but it plays into the one that we're talking about here today too. So anytime something weird happens, Hollywood grabs it and is like, yes, this is going to be the next hit movie. There is a movie actually um, that comes out in 1984 named The Philadelphia Experiment. And the movie basically follows two sailors that are serving on this USS Eldridge in World War II. And then the ship's crew finds itself and the ship transported 40 years into the future. So really they're just like taking this conspiracy theory, ripping it off and making a movie out of it. Yeah. So in the year 1988, a man named Al Bilick, he's a 57 year old New York native. Um, he sees a movie and just like can't shake the feeling that he has seen this before. So he, of course, starts undergoing various forms of like new age therapies and uncover repressed memories. And surprise, surprise, he recalls working on the Montauk Project in the 70s and 80s. He also claimed that his memories had been wiped to keep this experiment a secret. Um, And as his memories come back, he learns that his real name isn't actually Al. So his memory has been wiped and he was actually born Edward Cameron. Now, remember... Our two gentlemen from earlier, we were talking about um, Nichols, but Duncan, Duncan Cameron is his name. So Al Beilich is saying that he is born as Edward Cameron, and he had worked on the Philadelphia experiment with his brother named Duncan Cameron. When both of these men were in their 20s, they were working on board, the USS Eldridge, and in 1943, homeboy, he's like time traveling at this point for sure, In his mind, Um, again, this is all alleged for entertainment purposes only. Come to your own conclusions. Rewind, except for not rewinding, because again, time travel, so we're just jumping all over the place. We're gonna forget about Al, AKA Edward for a minute. Um, and We're gonna shift our gears back to 1983 and back to our other dudes, Nichols and Duncan. So these two are working together basically more and more frequently to try to recover Duncan's memories of the base. Because again, he was the one walking around like, oh, this is for this. This building is used for this blah 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 um, and so now they're dubbing this whole experiment where they're trying to like recover their memories and they're dubbing this thing that they're remembering as the Montauk project. So as they're working together they start to like recover bits and pieces of memories from the base and they're basically at this point just like rapidly jogging each other's memories. So not only is Duncan recovering his memories of the base but Nichols is also recalling snippets of his time working there as well So now he is at the point where he's fully convinced that it wasn't just deja vu he was experiencing from his visit there. He's like certain at this point that he did actually work on that base. Uh, Duncan and Nichols are recovering memories and Duncan tells Nichols that he and his brother were on board the USS Eldridge during the Philadelphia Experiment. Again, it had flipped off our known mortal plane It wormhole to Virginia. Somehow in the process, of the ship teleporting. However, Duncan and his brother, Ed, they just fucking yate themselves off the ship. They gone, they're not in the boat anymore. So as this boat's like traveling through a time loophole, they're just like either thrown off the ship or they dip out, I don't know, one or the other. Unclear, but when they're like recovering these memories, it probably doesn't seem super important um, that they have jumped off the ship, but just wait, we'll come back to it. And guess what, we're going to travel in time again to Nichols. And according to the memory he's uncovering, we're going to go back now to the 70s and we're going to just kind of recount what is happening at Montauk Air Force Base. So Nichols, again, alleged entertainment purposes, he is claiming that, um, well, I guess he's not just claiming, we know it was an Air Force Base, but he is saying that they established a research facility at some point in the 1970s there. And that they here are just conducting all sorts of really crazy experiments. Um, So, like, the variety of stuff they're experimenting with is really vast. So, he's saying that they're trying to control the weather. They're trying to experiment with controlling human moods. They're testing psychic powers and mind control and time travel. They're doing a ton of different shit. Like, this is basically East Coast Area 51. that They're just really going full throttle, like... Doubling down on literally anything you could make a conspiracy theory about. They're testing on it at Camp Hero, aka Montauk Air Force Base. So, he also says that many of the experiments are centered around one man that is demonstrating extraordinary psychic abilities. Our boy. We know him. We love him. Dunkaroo. Mr. Duncan Cameron. So, We're gonna take another moment, we're gonna sidebar just a moment because a lot of this story really like requires people to kind of suspend their disbelief because understandably this all sounds super fucking made up. But just to kind of like get you leaning into this conspiracy theory mindset. So the government has definitely participated in its fair share of like fucked up projects that we know about, that we know did actually happen, it's documented and it's not just a conspiracy. So just in case you don't believe that like weird human testing would be sanctioned by the government, here are some actual like substantial precedents that just validate the existence of these military experiments. So an example um, in 1932, the public health service begins what they call the Tuskegee study of untreated syphilis in the Negro male. Um, So in this study, 600 black men, 399 of which had syphilis are observed and actively denied known treatments for syphilis, which is a debilitating disease. Um so they were just like fucking around to find out what would happen at this point.
1: Well and with that one it was like they were telling them that they were treating them for it, but they weren't actually treating them and so they were passing it along to like their family member, like to their wives and then like obviously to their children if they were conceived after, you know, the beginning of the experiment. Which is just fucked up. It's like why?
0: I know. Yeah, it's really fucking wild. And then we have another one that's just as fucked up. So in nineteen fifty-three, the CIN, CIA begins its twenty-year MK Ultra program. Um so <laughs> yeah, in this program, again, this isn't made up. Like we know what's happened, it's well documented. They are testing drugs like different psychotic drugs, LSD, a bunch of like weird experimental drugs are testing on people um and interrogating them and in, trying to see if these drugs will make them more susceptible to like mind control for prisons, for students, for hospital patients that are hard to control, I guess. So they're just like really going full out and testing against these people's well, they're testing these drugs on them. And in this MKUltra program, there's at least two documented accidental deaths. Um, and they're bringing it full circle to our story for today, as part of an Operation Paperclip, as they call it, after World War II, the U.S. actively recruited Nazi scientists for government employment. So some of these people are rumored to have conti- contributed their human experimentation experiments at our Camp Hero the Montauk Project. So just so we're all clear, the United States government and military, Nazis are bad, um, but also the United States government is pretty bad too like we we do some stuff did some stuff hopefully are still doing some stuff that is just like really not great take that for what you will but just use that as like fuel for the rest of the story because it gets fucking weird um yeah so anyway back to our story again just to kind of reiterate where we are in this like really convoluted timeline um nickels and duncan they're sometime in the mid to late 80s basically our Like I said, recovering these memories, bringing them back and saying that in these projects that they were doing, they had hooked Duncan up to all sorts of different crazy machines. And in one instance, the machine could actually project his thought onto a screen. And this is taken even further when they claim that after several years of training his psychic powers, he's actually able to materialize objects that he thinks of. Um, However, most of the time, it's not like a solid object. It's kind of just appearing like a bit of a hologram. Um, But occasionally... On a good day, he's going to get a solid object, you know, materializing basically out of nowhere, just from his thoughts. Um, Again, his batting average for this, not great. It doesn't happen super often. So in one experiment, Nichols calls this experiment the seeing eye. Uh, Dunkin' Donuts allegedly could concentrate on a person, and he could be able to see as if he was seeing out of their eyes. Um, And Mm -hmm. that's not just like people in the room, so it could be anywhere on the planet. Imagine, especially the military, gets, you know, some sort of whiff that this is happening and that this is possible. Imagine how desperate they would be to, like, get control of this person. Because imagine you could just be like, okay, Slam Duncan, like, where's Bin Laden? Find him. (laughs) It would be huge. Like, it would be a huge, helpful tool for the military to have. So Duncan is Mr. Psychic Master. He's materializing objects. He's able to see and hear and feel as if he's another person and he were on the planet and obviously that's like a big fucking deal so these tests go on for fucking years and years and donkeys is able to materialize objects as they happen out of time so he's thinking of these objects he's broken it's not working it's 8 a.m the apple isn't showing up um and then hours later the apple shows up and Duncan is nowhere to be found. So this draws them to the conclusion that their experiments are actually bending time. So what do they do? They decide to focus their research on that and they're like, time travel is dope. We're gonna run with this. So now flash forward a bit more to the year 1981. So Montauk Project has now officially shifted its main focus from human psychic abilities to bending time and at this point somehow they come up with a theory of a time vortex. So they're saying that there is a master time vortex that spans from August 12, 1943. And then every 20 years, there's like a little basically eject point in 43 and 63 and then in 83, approximately the same day each year. According to the book that was written from the years of 1981 to 1983, they're really just experimenting with time travel and going on all sorts of like crazy missions. So they're going to Mars, they're programming like random kids that they're pretty much kidnapping from the surrounding communities and sending these like untrained recruits. Literally, they claim to the year 6037 AD. Um, I'm not going to get into all of that because literally we'd be here for weeks and I feel like not only does this kind of cover the Philadelphia experiment, um, but it also gets into Project Pegasus, which is another huge conspiracy theory that I would Mm. love to cover at some point. And they're also allegedly conducting on children different experiments, like telekinesis and stuff to try and like replicate what they're getting with Duncan. And actually fun fact of the day, we're going to get a pop culture fun fact again. The events from this book and the children experimentation in particular is actually what inspires the show Stranger Things. So pop culture fun fact. And we even get to see from the Demogorgons. So, so like I said, That gets like way heavy into Project Pegasus and stuff. Um, But for now, we're really just gonna focus on what these two dudes claimed happened on August 12th of 1983. Remember our time vortex? It is 43, 63, 83. It's a two time wormhole with different Egypt points. According to Nichols, that week they had pretty much continuously been running their time transmitter. All of a sudden, like, again, they're running this time transmitter. It's been on all week. And what do you know? August 12th rolls around and the fucking USS Eldridge appears through the frickin' time portal in Montauk, and guess who pops up in Montauk alongside the ship? You guessed it, the 1940s version of Duncan and his brother Ed. Now keep in mind, um, in 1983, Duncan also exists, and he's also on this base. When Duncan and his brother Ed in 1943 had yeeted themselves into the wormhole off of the USS Eldridge, they still arrived with the USS Eldridge, but they're, like, not on the ship. We know that like a basic tenet of time travel is that you cannot be exposed to your past or future self because you will tear a hole in the time-space continuum or whatever. So thinking quickly, Nichols says that the researchers are able to like get 1983 Duncan and just like whisk him away from the facility um, before he really knows what's going on. But like, hold on to your butts because at the same time, due to the stress of the events or maybe due to the obvious rip in the timeline, or maybe even due to the fact that um, his powers are just like supercharged because there's two versions of Duncan, both in 1983. Mm -hmm. Duncan accidentally manages to use his power and he materializes a huge, scary alien monster, a.k.a. I'm going to go with the Demogorgon from Stranger Things. So maybe it's real, maybe it's materialized, maybe it's an alien. We're not entirely sure. After the monster appears, um, it goes fucking apeshit bananas and just starts like ripping apart the lab. So Nichols and his research team decide that they just need to shut down the generators. So they need to close their time vortex wormhole thing so that the monster disappears. And then they tell 1943 Duncan and his brother to go through the wormhole with the Eldridge back to 1943. But they have to destroy the, expir- or the equipment on board so they don't fuck up the Earth's timeline. And basically so this monster doesn't like hop through the wormhole and get to 1943 to like really cause mass destruction which thank god because like at this point we're not only fighting the nazis i can't imagine what the fucking <laughs> united states would do if not only they were dealing with nazi germans but also like interdimensional time space monsters like i just don't think we our brains could handle that at the time
1: well and kind of talking about the nazis and like these kind of weird occult like psychic experiments like the nazis also did a ton of occult and like psychic experiments so like i mean i know you said that they brought these nazis over to do these weird like mind control type of experiments but it's like i wonder because a lot of like the nazi documents had been destroyed and i'm assuming about like a lot of the scarier shit it just really makes you wonder like what Did they like uncover and then like try to recreate here or like be like, okay, we know we can't go this far. Cause like there was a lot, I mean, there's just a lot. That's like another whole podcast on itself.
0: Yeah, it's wild. Like there's a lot to this story and like you can take this one story and really formulate like 800 different conspiracy theories based off of it. Cause like we've already mentioned two well-known ones, Philadelphia Experiment and Project Pegasus. Mhm, so it's it's a lot man. nineteen forties Duncan and Ed have been tasked with going back in time to destroy the machinery from the Philadelphia experiment because it has effectively ripped a hole in the time space continuum and then nineteen eighty three Duncan and Nichols are basically destroying the base. They're like we can't like we need to shut it down, like science has gone too far. We're done, so thankfully. 1943 brothers Duncan and Edward they're successful in their mission so they destroy the cloaking and time travel equipment on board the Eldridge Um, and so this ship is safely back in Philly but as we mentioned earlier the entire crew that was on board they're just fucking disoriented and so they are discharged from service. My theory is that their memories were all wiped when they got back so they that's why they were just like disoriented and didn't know what the fuck was going on. The crew in 1943, again, Duncan and Ed, they've saved the day. But back on the 1983 side of our wormhole, um, the military, again, they are also successful. They wipe everyone's minds. They destroy all the equipment and everything. um, And they're just like, testing here is done, or so they want us to think. Um, So after the events of this day, present day Ed, so 1983 Ed, AKA Al, so the man who watched the movie and now is like, yes, I'm actually Ed Cameron. He claims that after August 12th, uh, he begins to age more rapidly. But keep in mind, he was also almost 60 at this time. So really, he could have just very well been falling apart due to old age. Like he was just at that point in his aging process where it all just like, your body feels like it's fucking falling apart. Now, these three men, um, Peter Moon, who, from what I can understand, is kind of just like a ghostwriter, and then Nichols, Duncan, again, they get together and they write this book where they basically detail all the events that they remember. And so after this book is published in 1992, really, these conspiracy theories just take off and start snowballing. So these guys put the book out under the label, basically, that this is nonfiction like it's really happened people claim that reading the book also sparked memories of them working in camp hero where this all took place and then of course like we talked about earlier there's like urban exploration people like snooping around theorizing that there's just like still secret shit going on there so basically present day at camp hero there's still like huge doors that are built into the side of hills and cemented shut and stuff but people theorize that there's an underground tunnel system that runs under the surface level base um, and it brings you to the actual facility where they think there's still testing going on. So that's one big conspiracy theory that's still going on there. And then in another article from the Huffington post, actually the president of the Montauk chamber of commerce mentions that there was a lot of good stories about camp hero and says, I remember stories about time travel and secret underground experiments and aliens as far back as the 1960s when he was a kid. So really pretty much ever since his base is like, decommissioned after World War II and becomes just like a Air Force base, there's like rampant conspiracies. And so if you remember that satellite from earlier, allegedly residents of the area today claim that it still does change position from time to time. So they're alluding to the fact that there's very well could still be activity happening in those facilities underground. So like I mentioned, like people refer to this kind of as East Coast's Area 51. Um, And I'm not saying that there's aliens there. But I'm also not not seeing that there's aliens there. Um, So, you know, think what you will. But I think it's probably, you know, I say I think it's probably still used for testing. But I feel like the story is fabricated a lot of it. But it's also kind of suspect that that satellite is still moving. So
1: I don't know. I don't know. I believe it.
0: Yeah, I believe bits and pieces of it. Like, I definitely do think that there could have been a facility there where there was some like really heinous testing happening i don't know that i necessarily subscribe to the thought that a boat blipped out of the timeline and appeared there however i do think that the philadelphia experiment is worth um a good look into so i don't know
1: well the other thing because you said it was like an electromagnetic field right that they put around it Mm -hmm. um electromagnetic fields can actually like really strong ones cause hallucinations in humans Mm -hmm. because it like I'm not entirely on the neuroscience side of it, but I've read a little bit into it that like it can kind of disrupt your brainwaves. but to have one like have a hallucination across the board that was so uniform is mm-hmm. kind of strange yeah like you would you would think it would be more um like that they had individual experiences that were different mm-hmm. um I but, almost- like that's something. As I say, okay. I,
0: I almost wonder, too, if, like, when they were experimenting with this, like, electromagnetic, <laughs> electromagnetic field, if at some point, like, there was a frequency put out that caused a big portion of the crew to maybe, like, lose consciousness or something. Mm-hmm. And then um, maybe they came to and they're like, I don't know what the fuck just happened. And then they were just discharged because the military's like, I don't want to be fucking liable for their brain cancer. So they just, like, sent right. them on their way
1: because i could see that as well and it's mm-hmm. like we we're talking about with like the diatlov pass incident there's like frequencies that do cause like paranoia and mm-hmm. that kind of stuff in humans so it's like it's not really beyond the realm of comprehension mm-hmm. to think that it might have just been like a mass hallucination and like that kind of stuff has happened throughout history like uh like either mass hallucinations mass hysteria mm-hmm.
0: like what's um, that one case where there's like a whole village of people that just like couldn't stop dancing for like yeah, weeks in on France. end yeah yeah, I, I want to believe.
1: That's a good one. Yeah. I'm intrigued. It, it definitely makes you think. Mm-hmm.
0: And it's a lot lighter. Like last week, we both talked about pretty gory subjects. So I, I felt like we needed to like not talk about sexual assault and murder and child, yeah. child abuse. So you're welcome, guys. Hopefully this was more easy to digest.
1: Okay. Tarot reading, tarot time for this week. So we are going to start out. With the uh, King of Cups. Uh, focus, focus, focus. Reversed. So the King of Cups reversed. This is like, this can be a person, like a water sign. Uh, who's just like abusive, moody, maybe like a codependent type. Um, this feels like it's a person to me. Because there's a lot of like King, king cards in this. And it's a masculine or a male figure. Um, and then the next card I pulled was the Five of Wands. This is, like, avoiding the problem, self-doubt. This is, like, trying to run away from your problems. And then we have the Empress reversed, which, while well, it's a gorgeous card, uh, is also not really great. This is, like, indecisiveness based off of that situation. Disconnection, like ignoring the problem just like i'm not here i'm disassociating from it this is not part of my issue um and then i have the king of wands reverse which another masculine energy this is more of like a fire sign and this feels again like a person who's just gonna like really not be there for you this week and this is just like an intolerant like impatient ruthless like a jake paul type person you know (laughs) the next card i pulled was the high priestess and this is like wisdom um this is like being kind of like all knowing or like rising above the like rising above the impulsive masculine energies that are coming through this week. So like this is saying like you're a bad bitch. Like ignore them. There's the Empress which is reverse which feels like kind of it feels like a person cuz that's a uh, major arcana it also feels like a person. It feels like a like a supportive female energy to those negative male energies. So there's like two dudes that are not going to be great this week and one lady who's kind of supporting them. This feels like you just got to be a bad bitch. You got to rise above it. And also I pulled the hanged man for this. So that's like you just got to let stuff go. Like you just got let to them, let them go. This would be the week to buy Moldavite. This is like these dudes in your life, Paul Brothers, shitty, they're not worth your time. Get rid of them so that's a tarot reading for this week i think i think that's good i don't think we need to uh clarify on that because it's pretty clear it's like
0: get rid of the fucking toxic dudes in your life men ain't shit men ain't shit all right guys well that is the end of our episode this week um you can follow us on instagram at is it cole underscore stuff underscore and underscore chill um all of this will be linked in the description below if you're on YouTube or in the episode description wherever you happen to be listening. So we've got Instagram, we're on TikTok, we're on Twitter and Facebook, and we also have a Patreon. There's not a whole lot happening there yet, but there will be in the future, so stay tuned for that. And thank you so much for listening. If you've made it this far, you're a real OG, and we love our listeners, love you guys, and we'll see you next week.
1: Bye.
0: Bye.